It's good to have each of you here at High Point Church this morning. If you're listening through some other form of media, we invite you to to come out and be a part of our Sunday school and our worship anytime you have an opportunity. Our lesson today is focusing on the future, and it's another one of a portion of Paul's letters that he wrote to the church at Philippi. These people were known as the Philippians. And today we're going to talk and look a little bit at leaving things behind or forgetting certain things and moving on with our walk in Christ. It's interesting that our our logo or tagline on our church sign and our all of our stationery and everything with our logo is helping you reach the high point in your walk with Christ. And truly, that's what our lesson really is this morning. Leaving things behind and moving on to the future. I want to start by reading a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now let's stop right there. This is Paul saying, just in case any of you out there think that you have something to boast about, I have a whole lot more to boast about than you do. And he goes on to tell them why. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the smart guys of the day. He's saying, I had it all. I was a true Hebrew of all Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. When it came to persecuting the church, I was really good at it. I had more zeal than anybody. I went out, had them killed, had them put in prison. I went after it 127%. And as for that legalism part, I was big on that legalism. I knew the laws, and I really knew how to put people down when it came to if they didn't know the law. And so Paul was saying, so if anybody had anything to boast about, it's me. He made it clear that in the eyes of most men like that, unsaved, unbelievers, he was very successful. Before he met Christ, he regarded his Jewish heritage, his religious zeal, as a tremendous advantage. But he goes on in the next verses to explain how much that really didn't matter. And let's look at verses 7 through 11. That was just a preface to what he was really wanting to say. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, 
to attain the resurrection from the dead. After Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus, remember here's a guy that was out persecuting the church, having people killed that were believers, just really making it difficult on the church. And as he's on his way to Damascus one day, he is struck blind by a light, and he hears a voice that says, Saul, he went by Saul at the time, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he looks up and he says, well, who are you? And he says, I'm Christ. I'm Jesus, the one that you're persecuting. And at that point, Paul's life was changed. And before that, all of those things mattered, but now none of that stuff mattered anymore. He actually looked at those things as a disadvantage as opposed to being proud and boasting in them before he came to Christ. I think he knew that the same legalistic mentality that he said he could boast in before that kept him from knowing Christ would also keep him from maturing in his faith. Remember in the first passage we read, he said that he was real big on that whole legalism thing. He had it down pat. And he knew that if he held on to that, that same thing that kept him from finding Christ would keep him from maturing as a Christian like he knew that he needed to do. Paul went as far to say that all of his past achievements, he counted them as rubbish. In the King James Version, it says that he counted them as dung. And that word can be translated either way as rotting garbage or human waste. It really doesn't matter which way you translate it, it's not real pleasant. So he didn't think much of all the things that he used to pride himself in. But he didn't stop there. Because Christ meant so much to him, he looked with disdain on anything that might keep him from reaching the place in Christ where he longed to be. Isn't that amazing? He looked with disdain on anything that would keep him from reaching that place where he really knew he needed to be. Here at High Point Church, again, we say helping you to reach the high point in your walk with Christ, and that's true. Because that's why we gather here every Sunday, every Wednesday, is to help us to learn and help us to draw closer to Christ so that we can, we can reach that high point. None of us have gotten there yet. There are some that are ahead of others, but none of us have attained that place where we really should be yet. Any accomplishments, whether they're worldly, religious, if they are apart from Christ, they produce nothing more than self-righteousness that is useless and cannot save anyone. Anything that we do apart from Christ, in the long run, does not accomplish anything as far as our salvation goes. 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, another one of Paul's letters, this was to the Corinthians. God who, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is only through Christ, it is only through what happened on Calvary, 
that we can become the righteousness of God. We cannot do it on our own. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how much you've accomplished in life. It is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can become the righteousness of God. There are a lot of people out there today that are doing things and they try to accomplish things so that they can feel that they have that righteousness of God. Let me tell you this morning, you cannot do enough to receive the righteousness of God. It is only through Him. Paul was saying, in effect, that past power, past prestige, past positions, all those things really don't matter. Whatever level he had, gained, he had attained socially, religiously, politically, he said, I've left them all behind so that I can press on. Now, he didn't write this letter just to brag. He didn't write this letter as a biography so that people could read it and go, wow, look at Paul. He wrote the letter as an instruction guide for them to follow. And this Word of God and this letter that Paul wrote all of these years ago has been preserved because the same things that affected the Philippian church back then affect us today. We need to spiritually forget. Or in other words, we need to no longer be controlled or influenced or shaped by the past. We don't need to be preoccupied with earthly glory. We don't need to be so concerned about what someone thinks or what we think is important in life. We don't need to put too much self-centered stock in our training or education, our degrees, and think that these things define us and determine what we are. Let me say this. All of those things, education, degrees, and, and the things that we look at as the, what defines us, usually has more to do with what we do than who we are. Now, I'm not, believe me, I'm not taken away from anyone and education. I am a very, very strong proponent of education. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be spending $20,000 a year for my son to go to college. So, believe me, it's not just for fun. I believe it's important that we get an education. I believe that it's good for us to try to attain those things. But we can't put stock in those things and think that they're going to save us. We can't put stock in those things and, and pretend that they are the most important things in our life. Exactly. It helps us to understand better. It's a tool. We need to stop looking at these things as if they determine our personal value and worth. There's a lot of people that don't have a lot of education that have accomplished tremendous things. If you have not gone to college, maybe you didn't have the opportunity, maybe you didn't even have the opportunity to finish high school, you know what? God will use you just the same. 
Don't let that hold you back and think, well, to somebody else that did, they must be better than me. We need to leave that behind us and move on, is what Paul was saying. And again, I'm not against degrees and, and marks of achievement, but how do we view these things? Do we, do we look at these things as if, they, if, as if they give us a sense of importance and value? Because if we do and we don't have them, then we tend to find ourselves feeling like we're not important and we're not of any value. Those things are okay. They're great for those that have it. It's wonderful. But if you don't have that, God can still use you in His, in His work. He has a place for you, regardless of your background, regardless of your education, regardless where you came from, or regardless what you've ever done in life. God has a place for you. The thing that needs to be the center of our life is Christ. Not us. Not what we've accomplished. There are people that their entire life centers around their accomplishments. If you talk to them for any length of time, they will certainly tell you everything they've ever done and accomplished in life. I know a lot of people like that. They're very proud of themselves. God is to be our focus, not us. When Paul said his desire was to know Christ, he didn't mean just to learn more theology. That wasn't what he meant when he said, I want to know Christ. Well, I think I'll just sit down and memorize the Bible and I'll study and I'll read concordances and, and I'll find out what all those words mean. That's not what he meant when he said he wants to know Christ. When he said, I want to know Christ, he meant, I want a personal relationship with my Savior. I want this one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with my God. The word that Paul used here implies a personal acquaintance. Not just somebody you heard about, but a friend. Someone that you've had experiences with. You know, all of us have people in our life that we call acquaintances. There's casual acquaintances, somebody that we've met. There's people that we have relationships. And really, it's different. Those people that we're close to and we have relationships, if you don't see them for five or six years and you see them again for the first time, it's like you sit down and time never passed. You just, boom, you're just right back there just where you left off. That's because of that relationship. But if it's somebody you never really had that relationship with and you see them after six or eight months, it's kind of that uncomfortable, talk about the weather, how about those bucks? You know, it's that small talk thing. Because there's no connection. We need to know Christ in that relationship where we are so close to Him that we feel like there is this bond. And we know that there is this bond between us and Him. And Paul knew to really know Christ, it meant not to know Him in just the, the good things, but Paul said, I want to know Him in His suffering. And it would be probably very few people today 
that could honestly say, I want to know Christ in His suffering. Give me more of that. Look how Paul said it in in some other places. Romans 8 and 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may share in His glory. Look in 1 Corinthians 12 and 10. To another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking. That's not the right verse. What about 2 Corinthians 12 and 10? Let's try that. Yes. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am made strong. Paul said, I delight in all those things. That's tough. Most of us can't really say that we really delight in all those hardships. Going on to our scripture text, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. Well, that's a tough line right there. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Just in case you don't agree with me, God's going to clear it up that that's the way it should be. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let me ask a question this morning. And don't answer this. This is more of a rhetorical question. Are you a dissatisfied Christian? Let me ask it a little bit differently. Are you dissatisfied with your present spiritual condition and your present spiritual attainments? We ought to be dissatisfied Christians. Not dissatisfied with what we have, because what we have is priceless, but dissatisfied with maybe where we have gone and the things that we have accomplished accomplished or not accomplished. We ought to want more holiness. We ought to want more righteousness. We ought to want more godliness. We ought to want more wisdom. Now, keep in mind that where you are in your walk with God, it shouldn't discourage you or depress you. But rather, it should motivate you. And it should inspire us to strive for more. If we look and say, I'm dissatisfied, we have a choice to say, I can either sit here, as Tony would say, in the mully grubs, and say, woe is me, or I can be dissatisfied and want to attain more. It's our choice. 
So dissatisfaction can really be translated into determination to press on. Isn't that what Paul said? I press toward the goal. If he was satisfied with what he had already, why would he still be pressing toward the goal? There's a lot of Christians. There's a little toy. I never had one. But there's a little toy that they made years ago that you could sit on, little kids could sit on, and I think you push the handle upside up and down and it spun you around. It was called a sit and spin. Anybody remember that? There's a lot of sit and spin Christians today. They get saved and they sit down and they just spin round and round in circles. You know what? You never go anywhere on a sit and spin. It's not a bicycle. It's made to stay right there. God did not save us to be sit-and-spin Christians. So if we become to a point where we say, you know what, I'm not satisfied with where I am in Christ, I want to move on. And again, I'll go back to High Point Church of Brandon helping you to reach the high point in your walk with Christ. It insinuates that we have to keep going that we haven't gotten there yet. I've said it before. Salvation and our walk with God is, is not a place where we arrive. It's a place that we are continually trying to get to. There's never a time when we can say, I got it all. And what's the prize that is to be attained? Jesus Christ Himself, our salvation. Now, there is a certain way by which we are to press on. And there, I believe there are certain things that are necessary if we are to press on effectively and successfully. I want to go back and read a couple of scriptures that we already read. Philippians 3, and I want to read chapters 12 and 14, because we're going to look at those specifically. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. For that for which Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul basically states, I have not reached the spiritual goal. I have not been morally perfected yet. I'm not there yet. I have not gained Christ and His fullness yet. But He didn't stop there. He said, but there is one thing I do. One thing. Doesn't seem very complicated. He narrowed it down to one thing. He reduces all that is required to be successful to reach our spiritual goal down to one thing. Not 15, 20, 50, or 75 things. One thing. And you would think that if it's just one thing, we should all be able to do that. Right? This is what he narrowed it down to. It has two aspects. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. That was it. That's the simple, the simple solution that Paul said. All the things I've accomplished, they don't matter. And I'm not where I need to be yet, so I'm going to 
leave that behind, and I'm going to move ahead. And we can stop right there and say, wow, that's simple enough. Because it really is just about that simple. But we're not. We're going to go on. So what we have is not only a prerequisite to pressing on, but also that which is necessary to actually press on. We know what we have to do, and we know that that is what has to take place to get to where we need to get. You see, a lot of people, and I believe that we've done an injustice in teaching for many years, that we haven't told people that it's an ongoing relationship with Christ, that it's a, a thing that we continue to do. It's not a, thank God I got saved 87 years ago. Praise God you got saved 87 years ago. What's happened since then? That's not what Paul said. He said, I've left that stuff behind me, and I'm still pressing on. And if anybody, we look at Paul as being like this super Christian guy. If Paul said that he still had to press on, don't you think we probably do too? And then the question is, well, how are we to press on? How are we to pursue hard after Christ? Here's some essential elements in in the spiritual race, I believe. One of those things, and Paul made this clear, we're going to just go through some specifics. Forgetting the past. Paul was real specific in forgetting the past. Now, it's possible that Paul had witnessed some of the ancient Olympic games. He was in that area, very likely. He was through Greece all the time. Maybe he had seen some of the original Olympic Games in person. In his writings, he uses a lot of figures of speech taken from events from Olympic Games. The winners of those games, they were awarded prizes and special privileges. The winners of the Greek Games also, they got a wreath that was made either from laurel or olive leaves, and it was placed on their head so they could wear it like a crown. That's where the saying comes, don't rest on your laurels. You've got this crown of laurel leaves. Don't just say, hey, I've made it. Paul didn't say that. That's just a saying. Paul wasn't running for an earthly reward. Even though he talked about running this race, he wasn't running to to win his salvation. He wasn't saying that if I run fast enough, I can get salvation. If I run long enough, I can get salvation. He was running for perfection. He was running for this this place in Christ where he had never been that he wanted to get to. We should be doing the same thing. In verse 14, here's where Paul uses... The, the analogy of the runner. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let's say you were running a hundred yard race. We're talking about forgetting the past here. What do you think would happen if you're down on these blocks, the gun fires for the race to start, and you slip when you take off out of the block, and you turn around and go, well, I wonder what I slipped on. Hmm. 
I don't see anything. What would happen? You'd lose the race. So let's say it's a little bit longer race. It's a 400-yard race. And you're positioned beside this guy who is known for being really fast. And the gun sounds, and you know for certain that this guy cheated and got a false start. So rather than keep running, you turn around and you go over to the guy that fired the gun and go, he cheated. That wasn't fair. What's going to happen? You're going to lose the race. Going on, and I know this is starting to sound monotonous, but stay with me. You're running a 1,500-yard race, and you're doing good, and you're coming down to like the last 100 yards, and you've done really well. This was a long race, and you've done so well. And in the last 100 yards, you trip and you fall, and you go, I didn't see anything back there. Oh, there it is. Wow. can't believe I tripped over that. You still lose the race. Paul said we have to run this race. We have to press forward. We can't stop. If we stumble, we get up and we keep running. The thing that all of these examples have in common and have in common with what we're talking about today is that you only have the opportunity to win if you forget what previously happened and simply pursue the goal. That's right. Paul's message was to reach forward in maturity while forgetting the things of the past. If you are going to really mature in Christ and you really want, want to, to press on, then you have to forget what is behind you. It doesn't mean being brainwashed or, or clearing your memory through some sort of thing, but making a conscious effort not to let past gains or failures entangle us and impede our progress towards where we need to be. It's not just the failures, it's some of those successes that can impede us too. And we can't let anything from our past stop us from where we are going. Now, I am not, I'm not advocating irresponsibility. I'm not saying that we should avoid unfinished business in our life. But I'm saying it's, it is necessary for us to finish it and move on. If there's stuff that you're going through, deal with it and move on. To be preoccupied with the past can present such a debilitating distraction that you might not be able to move forward at all. There's a lot of Christians still living in the past. There could be people that are here today, people that are listening. And if you're one of those people, you know the heartache and the struggle that that pain is causing you. There are people that are still trapped in the past. 
They're overwhelmed with trouble and things that have happened in their life. And because of this, they remain in bondage. When Christ is there to set us free of bondage. Maybe you're thinking about your spiritual walk and you want to move on. And you want to grow and you want to develop. You want to mature. But something is holding you back. And it's the past because you're still living it. The instructions that Paul gave was to press on to the goal and leave that behind. Remember, it was that one simple, one simple rule. Leaving things behind and pressing toward the goal. There comes a time in our life as a Christian that we have to make a break with the past. We have to forget it. We have to not let it eat at us all the time. There are people that, and a lot of people, that have grown up in cold environments where there was, in a home where there was no love, there was no affection, there was no warmth. It was criticism and judgment and maybe abuse. And that person will carry that into their adult life. All that baggage gets carried into their adult life. And often, even after they're saved, they can't move on past that. They continue to deal with the the past hurt. And they can't reconcile with the past. And it's almost like they don't want to give it up. And if they're not careful, they become perpetually preoccupied with the past. And I will tell you that when you are perpetually preoccupied with the past, you cannot move on to the future. Often they're chasing things that they can't even define. I know I'm upset, but I don't even know what it's about. It's true. Paul appealed to his readers to do what he was doing. Leave the past in the past. Leave it behind. Look that way. If you're in a race and you start looking around, you slow down. I love baseball. Watch somebody that really knows how to steal second base. This is first, they lead off, they lead off, they lead off. And if they really know, look at Carl Crawford sometime, because he is one of the best. When they say, I'm going, and they head towards second, they don't look for the ball. They don't look for who has it. They don't look at anything other than second base, and I'm going to get there. You know why? Because when they turn their head, it slows them down. And that's what Paul was saying. Don't turn your head. Don't look back. Don't try to find the ball back there or who has it or how close it's going to be. You just find the mark where you need to be, and you run toward it as hard as you can. That's right. That's right.
even mature Christians, people that have lived for God for a long time, need to make sure that they don't become satisfied with their Christian walk and their level of maturity. It's easy to become content. There's an old song, we don't sing it, thankfully, named I'm called I'm Satisfied. Well, you shouldn't be satisfied. We should never become satisfied. We should always be wanting more. Paul said, putting the things behind and pressing forward. If you become satisfied, you will not press forward. I can tell you that. So forgetting those things. What other things do we need to forget? We need to forget past lifestyles and practices. Not just our accomplishments and achievements. We also need to forget how we used to live. I know people that are saved, but they, they like to talk about where they used to be. It's hard to forget about it if you always talk about it. Leave it behind you. If you're always looking back, then it's still on your mind. As a Christian, we need to be very, very clear in our distinction between the moral activities of what we were before we came to Christ and what we are afterwards. And if we can't tell the difference, then we need to do a a check on our heart to see if there's really grace in there or if we've just made a profession from our mouth. If we can't tell the difference, something's wrong. And if we see that the old habits and practices are still evident, then we need to do something about it. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 pretty much says it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. When we are truly saved... The old person goes away and there's a new person that has come along. I believe that through the Spirit of God, when we are saved, God puts His Spirit in us. And that Spirit is there to help us overcome our past lifestyle and practices. That's the reason that we have the Spirit of God in us. Repentance takes away all of those things that we did and it throws them away that they're never remembered again. But then the Spirit of God fills us to keep us from going back to those things. And people wonder, well, what's the big deal with receiving the Spirit? Well, that's the big deal. It's a really big deal. I believe a lot of people don't really believe that you're supposed to become a new creature when you receive salvation. Because they make a profession of faith and then they continue to live just like they lived before. Do you really believe that you're a new creature? Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let 
And if all things have not become new for you, then I would suggest, strongly suggest, that you look at your life in the light of the Word of God. Because Paul said the new has come. The old things are passed away. Either grace can overcome your habits and old practices, or it cannot. Either God's Spirit can overcome your past lifestyles and practices, or it cannot. Which do you believe? Either we believe it can, or we don't. And if it can, then it overcomes all of them. And that we are a totally new creature. It doesn't say that some of the new comes and some of the old stays. It says the old has gone and the new has come. Another thing, when it comes to our past life or past sins, we don't need to just forget our past lifestyle and practices. We need to forget our past sins. There's a lot of people that are haunted by their past sins. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Maybe not sitting here, but some people listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The sins that you committed before you became a Christian. And these are the sins that Satan will throw up at you all the time. He will merciless use to discourage you to make you feel guilt and shame. If God has forgiven you, your sins are gone. But Satan will use those to drive you to condemn yourself, to make you question your salvation, to make you feel utterly unworthy of Christ. Your past sins, let them go. If God has forgiven you, let them go. If He doesn't remember them anymore against you, why would you hold them against yourself? When the blood of Christ was shed and you took that blood upon your life, your sins were completely annihilated. As if they never happened. It wasn't like they drew over them with a highlighter where you could still kind of see through there and see them down underneath. They were completely gone like they never happened. And there's a lot of Christians that are abused by the devil. And even to the point where their sensitive conscience is tortured and tormented all the time. And probably especially those with a very sensitive conscience because the devil knows that he can use it against them. And he tells you, you can't let that go. What you did was worse than anybody else has ever done. I know the Bible says, because Satan knows the Bible. But he'll come to us and say, I know the Bible says that he'll forgive your sins, but he won't forgive yours. He wasn't talking about what you did. And maybe you've, you've slipped. Maybe you've fallen. 
and there's this black cloud. And I'm talking about since you have been saved. And because of that, there's this black cloud that's hanging over your soul, and you wish that you would just die because of the things that have happened. Maybe the pain of the failure has left you feeling hopeless. And you feel like you've lost any acceptance with God. Let me tell you this. God forgives sin. His grace is sufficient for you. And when Paul told one group of people that, they said, well, if if where sin is, grace abounds, should we go out and sin more so there could be more grace? And he said, no. Don't be stupid. That's my translation. It's not a credit card to go out and sin. It's there in case we do. And I know there are people, I know in my heart, when I put this lesson together, I knew that there would be people that are here with this message that would feel the weight of what I'm saying here today. You know the sin that you've asked God to forgive you for. But you are still not able to feel His forgiveness even though you know that it's there. I want to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How can you take that to mean anything other than what it says? I am not advocating going out and sinning next week just to see if that happens. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that if there is sin in your life, if you have slipped and if you have fallen and there is something in your life that shouldn't be there, God loves you. He wants to forgive you. And His grace is sufficient. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness as if it never happened. And the fact is this. If you're allowing that to happen, you are being more affected by your feelings than you are by the truth of the Bible and God's truth. And His truth never changes. And even though it never changes, you continue to be haunted by the things of the past. Remember what we're talking about here today. Paul said, leaving those things in the past behind, I press on towards the mark. And it's good to say, hey, yeah, I left everything behind. But often we really haven't left everything behind. And the problem isn't that God doesn't forget. It's that we don't forget. 
And I'll go one step further. If it's a brother or a sister in Christ that has slipped and fallen and and something has happened in their life and they have asked for forgiveness and they've moved on with their life, you better forget and forgive all of that too. Because if God can forget and forgive them, what makes you think you can't? I don't care who they are. If they pastored a church of 25,000 people and they slipped and fell, there are people that would say, yeah, I knew he wasn't really for real. Again, God's Word is either true or it's not. There is no in-between. If we have in Jesus Christ the provision made for our sins, then that provision covers all of our sins. And I think, again, that's another disservice that we've done for years and years in teaching is that we've tended to categorize sins into big ones and little ones. And we're okay with God forgiving the little ones. It's those big ones that we really don't not we're not sure that God can forgive. And worse yet, it's not sure we can forgive. If we confess our sin, God's Word says that He forgives our sins. There are a lot of Christians, good Christian people, even Christian leaders, pastors of churches, men of God, that have had a moment of weakness or blindness, and even though they've repented of it, they continue to whip themselves emotionally over it. And all this is, is a a form of self-induced penance. It's not scriptural. God doesn't want your penance. There's a group of people that, in a certain religion, that there's certain times of the year that they take these whips and they walk down the street with no shirt on and they whip themselves until they're just bleeding. As a type of penance. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want, and and don't be offended, but He doesn't want you saying 14 Hail Marys and pray the rosary five times. That is not what He wants. He wants you to ask for forgiveness, and He has promised that He will do that. He is pleased with faith in His Word, not with self-gratifying sorrow. There comes a time in everyone's life when you have to believe God's Word and forget all the other stuff. And if you don't, you will remain rooted and trapped in the past and you cannot move. And I I direct these words particularly to those that have a very sensitive conscience. Because the devil will attack you more fervently than someone who doesn't have a really sensitive conscience. And let me say this. 
I suggest to you that you are dishonoring God when you fail to accept the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins because in effect you're saying it wasn't enough for me. And we'll say that one more time. It sounds harsh. You are dishonoring God when you fail to accept the blood of Jesus Christ for your sins. Because in effect you are saying, it wasn't enough for me. We can learn from our past, but we can't live in the past. If God has forgiven us, then by His grace, we need to forgive ourselves and move on. Leave the past with God. He can deal with it justly. He knows exactly how to handle it. The only thing we need to be looking for is the goal. We need to address the past, deal with it, forget it, move on. Remember something about Paul. He had killed or had someone else kill or in prison countless numbers of Christians. He was really good at it. He was a bad man. He didn't just kill people. He killed Christians and went after it with what he called zeal. But yet he could say in verse 13 of our scripture text, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have been taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, and we'll close with this. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul urged his disciples to follow him who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lonely bodies so that they will be like his glorious body and paul went on to say in this in these passages of scriptures just in case you think you've arrived i haven't arrived and again paul was looked upon as being this super Christian. He founded all of these churches. He, he brought so many people to Christ and people looked up to him so much and he said, I have not arrived yet. I'm still going towards the goal. And his reasoning was, if, if I haven't arrived, then you can't think you have either. Paul warned that there were those that lived as enemies of the, cry, of, of the cross. They lived any way they wanted to live, and a lot of them proclaimed to be Christians. He pointed out that genuine believers were heavenly-minded 
And they recognized where their true citizenship was. Yes, you're a citizen of the town or the country or the province where you live, but your true citizenship is in heaven. And along with forgetting the past, we need to reach forward to what lies ahead. When we realize whose we are, not who we are, but whose we are, what God has done for us and where we're headed, we can put our eyes on the goal line and look forward to the prize, the prize that lies ahead of us. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have to put the past in the past where it belongs. And when we are truly focused on Him, really focused on Him, we will have no choice but to run well. God bless you.